Hi, this is Jason. And this is Matt. And welcome to Wish You Were Here, a podcast for the curious traveler. Every episode will explore a different destination that includes inside trips on where to go and what to do, some fun history, travel-inspired games, and a good conversation between two travel pros. Yes, and this week it's kind of it's I don't want to give anything away, but it's kind of destination plural. <laughs> it's more of a theme than a destination, I guess. Yeah, and it's a good one. It's timely, it's it's seasonally appropriate, and I'm excited for us to get into that, you know, in in a few minutes. When we get there, yeah. Uh so what's new? How was your week? It was good. I mean, I said this last time, but it, it's weird. It continues to be weird. The, I've been trying really hard to uh like describe my weeks in different ways to try to separate them either like by actually doing something different or by just like talking about them differently because everybody asks that same question like how are you doing how are you holding up and i don't want to continue to give the same answers so i'm i'm trying even if it's to trick myself to describe it differently when i talk about it okay so like what would be a way that you can because i totally get you right it's like i hear everyone saying the same thing which is like time is sort of blurring so like, what's something you're doing? Are you like covering yourself in tinfoil and running around the block and being like, that's what I did one week. And then are you like jumping into a bathtub full of mangoes and being like, that's what I did this week. Like, is that the way you're marking your time? No, no, I don't know if I'm actually doing anything different. I've sort of hit like the quarantine bottom of the barrel where we've all, uh, you know, we've all watched Tiger King and now the new Michael Jordan documentary and we've all gone for enough runs to like be ready for a marathon. So I've hit the bottom of the barrel and I, I watched uh, I watched like a 20 minute video YouTube video about this man who just basically builds a pool with his bare hands in the backyard. Like it, I think it's in Indonesia or something like that. And he's got this big plot yeah. of land and he's literally got like a pickaxe, like a straight pickaxe. And it's a 20 minute video where he like carves out the pool from the ground and then shapes everything like laminates it with with green leaves and then walks himself to go fill up the pool with water and i it you know has like cinema music whatever and i watched that video and afterwards i was like oh i have no applicable skills that like help me in any meaningful way like i can have <laughs> i can my job is to have like zoom calls and that's what my skill will be in the apocalypse i have no meaningful skills that is, I know that is amazing. Um, I feel like in this country, we think of ourselves as like brave if we like walk a 5k. Sure. You, you know what I mean? Like, and, and yet this guy like with his bare two hands, you know, straight up with picked his up bare a two tool hands. and yeah, uh, while, while is, he was going to get the water, he saw a fish in the water, put down his jar, caught the fish with his bare hands, put it on a stick, carried it home and made that for dinner. Wait, is that a true story? Are you making that no, up? No, this is, this happens in the YouTube video I watched. That is crazy. Hey, listen, how, how, real quickly, how is the, the Michael, uh, Michael Jordan documentary? I'm on episode, f we just finished episode four and it's incredible. I mean, I, oh, I'm a there's big, like, oh, there's like multiple episodes. I think they're going to be 10 and they're an hour each. Can't anything just be like two hours anymore? I've got I'm good serious. news for you. There are a lot of movies that are two hours. <laughs> <laughs> the Michael Jordan documentary is amazing. I'm a big basketball fan. Um, yeah. and like I was a kid when Michael Jordan was, was big. And so it's like. It's nostalgia, but there's a ton of crazy story that happens in it that that is new for me too. So definitely recommend. So I this is one of those examples where I wish we could have like switched lives for like uh, you know for like a season or a summer or like a few years because not a summer because they don't play basketball in the summer, do they? It ends in like June. <laughs> but I I'm older than you are, and I grew up. I, I was a teenager at the height of Chicago Bulls domination. Yeah. And I was in and Chicago. In Chicago, oh my God. And my dad was a big businessman in Chicago at the time. And we had courtside seats to the Chicago Bulls. So <gasps> my dad, 
Uh, like so this was this was this was ninety two to ninety eight or what? You oh know, didn't they? My didn't God. they? Didn't they, it was it was like they won, then it was like repeat, three peat, four on the floor. But didn't they end up winning six championships? Yeah, I mean, total? I know that it's history, but I won't give any spoilers. But it was basically like the nineties were the Bulls, like especially the early nineties were the Bulls. Right. So when they had those championship games, my parents would sit courtside and watch them. What? And, and, and I did go to them, but not the, not the final, not the, no, sorry, final four basketballs, college basketball, but not the championship games. But like during the regular season, I, ha- I have seen Michael Jordan play courtside. What? Yeah, it's crazy. Okay, so if we, were to have, if we were to switch lives, I'd be courtside watching Michael Jordan, and you would be homeschooled in Minnesota, like, <laughs> <laughs> listening to Rebecca St. James and Sting on cassette. Except that, and we won't, we won't give away the Minnesota episode just yet, except that what you and I both have in common is that we both spent our childhood in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I would, yeah, so yeah. I would, you'd basically be asking me to live my life twice. Okay, except <laughs> your, your, your 90s sound infinitely cooler. Uh, okay, I want to pat us on the back. Yeah. Because we are, this is episode three, and we are now on, we've now been downloaded on every inhabited continent. Yes. I mean, when, yes. You, when you first messaged me that, I was like, huh? Yes. I know, that's exciting. We have listeners in Paraguay. We're big in Thailand. We were, I, I we're just, big. We got one person in Thailand. <laughs> I think it is just one. <laughs> uh, we do, but we have, no, we're in, uh, we have, uh, uh, subscribers or, or listeners rather in South Africa, mm-hmm. in Australia, in Austria. Like it's cool. It's like, I you feel like it's you didn't happening. List, uh, you didn't list UK or like what's you've oh, hit well, Asia. You've hit Latin America. You've hit, you know, the Pacific islands of Australia. We're missing. I said, I said Austria, which is Europe. There but you we go. Also, there you go. But in, but in Europe, we, I think we I think we have like Denmark, France, UK. So like we're, yeah. you know, we're crushing it in Europe, which was inevitable. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, it's just, it's just a nice, it's just like a nice. It's inevitable it's, because we've only talked about the United States. <laughs> and of course, America is so beloved around the, the globe right now. Uh, but it's just, it's just a nice reminder uh, that, um, that we can, we can dominate we can dominate the world if people continue to leave us uh, reviews on iTunes and Spotify. And so, so I thought of sample reviews. Like if people are listening, they're like, I want to write a review, but I'm shy. And like, I don't really know what to say. And like, you know, like, I'm not sure what would be like considered yeah. a nice review. I thought yeah, yeah. Of, like, you're like, I wanted I to of, say five stars without actually having to say or be five stars. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So here's, <laughs> yeah. So I, I came up with two sample reviews that our <laughs> listeners can leave for us. Would you like to hear that? Oh my God, please tell me. Okay, so if you're like reviewing on iTunes, you could say this. You could you could give us five stars, and then you could say, iTunes, you suck. This podcast deserves st- 10 stars, but you'll only allow me to give five out of five. Okay? Right. So that's, that's like one that's like one. So that sample would be a five-star review. review of us, but like a, a, a hearsay one-star review of iTunes. Yes, that's exactly right. For, for people who don't know, hearsay is the segment that you and I do where we look at, where we, where we, where we find Yelp reviews and TripAdvisor reviews where people have like panned yeah. business, businesses that we where love. Where you and They're I would like, go, we would roast Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, and be like, what was he thinking? <laughs> that's exactly right. Okay, here's the second <laughs> review. Here's the second review. Okay. Love Wish You Were Here podcast. Clearly Matt is the brains and clearly Matt is the funny one, but Jason is also a host. <laughs> <laughs> right. Left by all of my family members who I texted that explicitly to. <laughs> I, you know, I, I love a little self-deprecating humor. So that was just a little swipe, a little swipe at myself. Uh, okay. So while you, <laughs> while you have been at home watching... 
I, I don't know, what is it, 100 hours of footage on Michael Jordan or, right. or whatever, whatever you said. I have been sneaking out of the house. Tell me more, because we're in a quarantine. So, what does that mean? Okay so, I'm cro- okay, so I'm crossing my fingers that Gavin Newsom does not, is not a subscriber yet. I know he will be. I know he's going like, <laughs> to find our podcast. He's going to fall in love with it. He's going to, like, the California government's going to be a sponsor. Like, whatever. Mm-hmm, I, know, right. I know he'll get to it eventually. <laughs> but he's, he's understandably busy in the middle of a pandemic. Like, he's doing these daily briefings. So he doesn't have time to listen just yet. So thankfully, he doesn't know what I've been doing. So I've been sneaking out of the house. So on Sunday... I got in my car and I drove out to the Mojave Desert. So I live in Mm. Los Angeles. So it was about a two and a half plus hour drive. And I went to the Trona Pinnacles. Do you know what that is? No, what is that? Oh, so fascinating. So anybody who's listening right now, like while you're listening, hit pause and Google image Trona Pinnacles right now. I'll give you three seconds to do it. Okay. Did you do it? (laughs) But right. So, right. So if, if our listeners did that, they're, they're like, their jaws are hitting the floor right now while they're listening to this. So it is, it is, keep going. I'm looking at it though. Do it. So it is these, it is these like, it's like a geographical anomaly. It's these ancient like tufa formations. So they look like formations. Tufa. What is that? So, so, uh, I mean, you have to, you have to, you have to like read up on it. I I can't even like exactly explain the geographical uh, phenomenon that a tufa is, but Mono Lake, which is the lake up in Northern California near Mammoth Uh that, that, that Southern California used to famously, well, LA in particular used to famously steal, we used to steal water from to like, you know, like feed our swimming pools down here. But, and we drained, we drained so much of Mono Lake over the decades. Obviously that's over with now. Like that's been stopped and they've, we've sort of, you know, there's been a preservation effort to save Mono Lake, but Mm. you can see all these tufa formations pop up out of the water in Mono Lake, but this was this was the Trona Pinnacle. So this is down here in the Southland. So three hours from here, it's near. It's off of Highway 395, mm-hmm. near the city of Ridgecrest, which is kind of the biggest city in the Mojave. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not a it's not a particularly like tourist friendly city, but you know you could go there and you could get all this stuff, right? There's plenty of like roadside hotels and fast food restaurants and all that stuff. So it's about a half an hour from there, and you kind of have to like take these really lonely, solitary two lane roads, mm-hmm. and then you have to get off the road. And you have to go through down like a dirt path, like like for like for like thirty minutes. Yeah, you're gonna have to be more clear. The whole desert is a dirt path. <laughs> well, I, I have to tell you, like, I mean, you can luckily you can Google Google Map it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. but like when you like the last like the last half an hour of the way, and it's probably only three or four miles. It's just that it takes a half an hour because you're going so slow. Mm. And, you know, like some people, like a lot of people will like drive RVs out there or they'll take like dune buggies or motorcycles, like off-road vehicles. I was driving an SUV, which is thankfully a safe video to drive on, the, uh, sorry, a safe vehicle to drive on this kind of terrain. But, um, but you get out there. Did you Google image it? I did. Uh, yeah. it's in, it looks like it's straight out of Star Wars. It, it, well, it's straight out of Star Trek V, to be exact. Oh, my God, of yeah. course. Yeah, so it's, it's super, like, it's a Martian landscape, or it's, like, lunar-like, it's otherworldly. And I have to say, like, I don't even think the Google images do it justice. You get there, and there's actually road. And when I say road, again, I mean, like, paths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, dirt paths. Like, cut all around them, so you can, like, you can get up close to them, you can drive around, you can hike, you can kind of, like, park your vehicle and, you know, take all these, like, great photos. And what yeah. was so cool is that because I, I don't think this is a heavily touristed uh uh, you know, a place to go. Area, yeah, yeah. E- right. Destination, even when we're not in a pandemic, but, right. but in a pandemic, there was probably even less people there. So again, I saw maybe one or two RVs and then I saw maybe a half dozen, uh, like dune buggies. Whoa. Whoa. You know, j- just, just like, like tearing up the landscape and yeah. like driving all, driving all around the pinnacles and like, and it is, it is cool. And then the other thing I did, um, 
was I, uh, you know, the, the beaches are still closed here in LA County. Yeah. And then, and then of course, Mayor, uh, Mayor Newsom famously told Orange County, he's like, uh-uh, uh, you opened your beaches, they got too crowded, so we need to put a lid on that. But <laughs> as, as you know, if you go up the coast from LA, you get into less crowded counties. So Ventura right. County is next and then Santa Barbara County after that. And so yesterday I took a, a PTO day from work just because I was like, I need to clear out my head. And I drove up to Santa Barbara County and just found like a really great beach that I've been to before that's pretty secluded that, you know, not a lot of, I knew not a lot of folks go to, especially on a weekday. And not only did I enjoy a beautiful day and was it, it was a nice reprieve from the LA heat wave we're having right now. But by coincidence, I ran into an LA friend of mine who just moved here from Santa Barbara. So he was, <laughs> he was up there getting stuff from his storage unit yeah. and decided to, decided to escape the heat by popping over to the beach. It's a beach I know he likes. Yeah. And so there he was. How fun. Yeah. <laughs> that is a nice getaway. And it sounds like you did it in a safe way where you actually weren't around people. I think in the desert, it probably was easy to avoid that one RV. Yeah, but <laughs> even though it was big, no, it was. You, you know what, Matt? It's like it's like it's, what's so funny is that in both instances. Now, obviously, when I saw my friend, you know, he came within six feet. We agreed to like put our towels down, like you know, eight feet apart, and kind of hang out or whatever. But in both cases, I didn't even come remotely close to any other human beings. Yeah. I mean, it was it was so easy. And, you know, of course, I want to, like, respect all the rules and do all this stuff. So I had my mask on and, you know, I have my gloves in the car. I have my hand sanitizer in the car. So I did all that stuff. But it, it did feel, like, miraculously good yeah. to get oh, out of the I'm house. Sure. Oh, I'm you sure. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's good to know that while following the rules, travel is still possible. You just have to be really careful uh, and be thoughtful about what that looks like. Yeah, that's exactly right. And here in California, for example, we already, you and I already know, I mean, everybody already knows that like a bunch of states have already started to like loosen restrictions, right. open up a little bit. But even here in California, where where I think Governor Newsom is taking a, a cautious approach and 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 deservedly so, like I'm glad he's taking that approach, where he's going to start opening up the the parks and the trailheads more. So like, soon, you're, yeah. you're going to see, you know, so it's like, yeah. so like I, I did something like, semi you know semi forbidden but but right on the heels of it not being forbidden at all sure yeah and you did you know? it because it was you made those choices because they're safer travel alternatives yeah yeah that's yeah. right and does talking about beaches well i was gonna say nice your seg- santa barbara story is a great segue you talked earlier <laughs> about how we don't have like a single destination this week so much as a, a topic and this is probably something that we'll do uh, pretty regularly um just because of this idea is that we want to hit all the corners of travel and naturally that will include categories of travel so this week it's beaches and beaches is a hot one right now especially for us in california i mean you already touched on this but beaches continue to be a place where people are flocking both like when it's approved and when it's not um, because it's a big natural getaway yeah, yeah. So I, I think you and I agree that we want this podcast to respond to things that people are actually talking about and, you know, there's like s- somewhat newsworthy and, and current. And so, you know, again, to your point, all the beaches in Florida have opened up and there's been a lot of chatter about that. And is it safe? Is it not safe? Meanwhile, the beaches in California, like a lot of the counties or some counties at least still remain closed. And so, you know, some people are think that's a good idea. Other people are like, open up the beaches, you know, like yeah. and, 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 and and even more, you know. We're all as I think I think you and I can both agree that Memorial Day, I think we can all agree Memorial Day is sort of the kickoff to summer. And I think I think it's, you know, like even if you live in the middle of the country, like in a landlocked state, there, every state has a lake that has a beach. Right. You know, like like the Midwest is famous for having beaches all over the place. Like the, the, the Great Lakes have some of the most beautiful beaches in the country. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, you know, the West Coast, the East Coast, the Gulf Coast, Florida, like like. Americans want to go to the beach in the summer. So we yeah. wanted to talk and about there are, it. There are, I mean, you, like you just said, there are beaches everywhere, which means that there are too many for us to possibly cover. 
Even yeah. if we were to like list one in every state, that would take us way, way, way too long. So what we're going to do is approach it in a fun way and do the first ever yeah. beach awards. Yeah, that's right. Now, to be clear, right, as, as an editor, as a writer and editor, this is something that's like a stickler. You don't ever want to say first annual because annual implies, implies tradition yeah. and it's and it's not a tradition yet. You can't say annual until until next year. So like <laughs> when you and I record like episode 30 or whatever, then yeah. we can say the second annual beach award. So I think you were right to call it the first, first ever, ever okay, beach awards. <laughs> and before we get started, can I share a little fun fact about beach going? Please. Right? So so the beach going as we know it is a relatively modern phenomenon and it it actually dates back to Coco Chanel, fashion designer Coco Chanel. Really? Yeah. So, so the story, and I don't have like a deep dive history or anything <laughs> like that, but, but we know that previous to the Industrial Revolution, which began in like the late 1800s, most, most work, you know, like, like most laborers, people who like had to work to serve the upper classes to like serve the wealthy, mm-hmm. they worked outside, right? They worked the land. Hmm. So like they were like, they worked in agriculture, they were like farmers and, you know, they worked outside and they worked hard hours. And because of that, they, they were naturally tanned because they were outside all the time. Hence, if you were wealthy, you stayed indoor. It was fashionable to be pale. And like fat because, because it meant that you didn't have to work and all you could do is just like stay inside and eat. That's right. Yeah. Right. So like, like, so you, if you ever look at like, if you've ever seen the movie, like Dangerous Liaisons, right there, mm-hmm. they all like wear like, like, like white makeup. Mm. So it was very fashionable to look pale. Mm-hmm. But then the industrial revolution happens and suddenly it's like we have car manufacturing and we have, right? And so everything moves indoors. So they take the laborers from outside, they move them into large factories and now they're the ones that are pale all the time, mm. right? So Coco Chanel goes off to the Côte d'Azur in like south of France, comes back with a tan, everyone's aghast. And she's like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is a sign of wealth and luxury. Uh. This, is what pe- this is what people of wealth do. We have, we have leisure, we have time on our hands. Yeah. So we, we can now go lie in the sun by a beautiful beach and get tan. Damn, that is some influence that you can come back from a trip and be like, all of your prejudices and biases, <laughs> biases are wrong and it's going to be different from now on. <laughs> right, I'm Coco Chanel I'm Coco and, Ch- I, and I decree it so. <laughs> right, I mean, that's funny. I, the that's a i mean it's hard for me to imagine a world in which you don't like not everybody wants to go to the beach but if you look back through like literature and most of history beaches were scary places like the way the bible talks about the beach is just like floods and the you know the deep dark omen or like the wrath of the ocean is a huge theme um i think if you look at like greek and roman mythology and literature a huge parts of it are like the ocean and beaches being a scary place so it took coco chanel to help us uh, to see them as a place of good. Yeah, that's crazy to think about. Yeah, <laughs> to like to like to like imagine like, right? Because like like in in the Western world at least we have such a sense of like the beach is just a symbol of like paradise and relaxation and yeah. getting away from your. So it's funny to think that like it was this place of like suffering and hardship and toil <laughs> and like fear. You know, maybe a hundred, two hundred, five hundred thousand years ago. Right. Well, I'm I'm glad that you and I don't have to to bear that burden. Um, so <laughs> we're going to dive into the first ever Beach Awards, uh, and I will kick it off. Yeah, let's do it. Let's hear your first one. Yeah, so I've got a, I've got a, a, a good one, which is just the best beach to escape the madness of a city. Low-hanging fruit, madness of a city. So this is pulled from my time when I lived in New York. Um, but New York, concrete jungle, like most major cities are places of tall buildings and tons and tons of people. So I think it's natural to want an escape from something like that. And yeah. I picked Long Beach, New York. 
It's 25 miles uh, east of the city, and it's really easy to get to. I was with some friends, and we drove, and I forget mm-hmm. how long it, it took us, but it's not super far. But New York is a city of great public transportation, and so you can take the Long Island Railroad right from Penn Station or Atlantic Station in, in Brooklyn, um, and there's a there's a route that goes right to it, and it drops you off like less than a 10-minute walk from the beach. Um, and I think it's like, you know, to take public out there, it's like 10 bucks too. So all that to say, it's really easy to get to, even if you live in the heart of the beach and don't have a car. Um, it, when I lived there, it was the first beach that really, that I went to that really reminded me of home. And the reason is because it's like an eight mile long, one stretch of really wide beach, which is exactly the beach, um, in Hermosa beach and and Manhattan beach that I'm from, or like just the long stretch that lines California. And so for me, I literally like got there and stepped on the sand and was like, (sighs) because I think it had been like a full year since I had gone back home and seen the beach too. So I literally like closed my eyes and it was the first time I'd been in a place that made me feel like home. Um, I have so many questions. <laughs> Tell me. So, okay, wait. So, first of all, when you say, so the name of the beach is Long Beach. Yeah. Okay, okay. And Long Beach, it's called Long Beach because you said it was eight miles long, right? Yeah, it's a long beach. Okay, yeah. So, that makes sense. So, Long Beach is on Long Island. Is that right or no? Oh, God. Uh, no, I don't. I say, oh, God, because I, I should have anticipated this question. I don't think so. No, <laughs> long, long, beach is its, long Beach is its own city in... Uh, Nassau County it's in it's in a county oh. in it's just east of the city so if you go it's not too far from the city it's certainly not as far as, okay. as Long Island yeah so it's not part of Long Island no okay because I, I just feel like you say the word long and I just put them together I've, I assume like Long Beach it must be on Long Island right, right. but okay um <laughs> it's a um it's a I did have to note this because this is new for me but it's a paid beach Mm-hmm. Meaning there's like a fee to get on it, which I think is true yeah. of a lot of beaches. And what's the fee? Like five bucks or like ten bucks? Well, like something resident like- and non-resident passes, but I think it's like okay. f- fifteen bucks for a day pass. So it's it's a okay. little pricey, so, but go yeah. early, pay fifteen bucks. I didn't know that there was going to be a fee, and so I went with some friends, one of who lived on uh, in the Long Beach area, and he's like six five, built like a hockey player. He literally looks like Thor, so he's a huge person, and the the poor kid taking our beach fees was like some middle schooler where this was his summer job <laughs> and so yeah. i was following the lead of my friend and he literally just like walks past this kid and goes we're not paying that and i was <laughs> like oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and this poor this poor dinky middle schooler is looking up at thor like what am i supposed to do and i didn't know what to do so we left and i paid i ended up paying them on the way out because i felt guilty oh. but i was like i was like oh oh <laughs> And, and, and it sounds like, so I, I can't picture a New York beach without like a ton of development behind it. Like, is it like that where it's like a lot of homes, like, or do you feel like, like, is it roomy? Like, is there elbow room or is it like a New York beach, like Coney Island where it's just like packed, like beach towel to beach towel. Tons of room. It's a really wide beach. It is lined with this beautiful boardwalk where you can, where you can walk and ride bikes. But then the line behind that are like, you know, some restaurants, but mostly apartment buildings and hotels and whatnot. But the yeah. beach itself is so wide that I was, I was at the tip of it or at the water, and I sort of forgot that there was a facade of buildings behind me. Oh, it yeah. sounds so nice. It is really a wonderful escape for New Yorkers. If you live in the city, uh, it was like a call to home for me as a Californian. So I definitely recommend as the, the best beach to escape from the madness of a city. Okay, are you ready for my first one? Give me it, number one. Okay, this is the best beach if you're born to boodle. <laughs> what does that mean? Best beach if you're born to boodle. I'll tell you what it means. Okay. So the beach that I'm talking about is Beaver Island. Okay. Which Beaver is where? I- 
Beaver Island is in Michigan. All Ooh. right. So if, if you're from the Midwest or if you ever meet like a Michigander, which is what someone from Michigan calls themselves, and, and you say to that person in Michigan, where are you from? They will hold up their hand because Michigan is shaped like a mitten, right? Mm-hmm. And they will say, I'm from here. And they'll like point it out. So if you're picturing like the shape of a hand, Beaver Island would be like at the tip of your like ring finger. Okay. So it's like up there. Okay. Yeah. It's right. Like North so, Michigan. So, yeah, so if you if you live in like Chicago, for example, and you want to drive and you want to like go to Beaver Island, it's like a six hour drive up the west coast of Michigan, which by the way is so beautiful. Mm. So uncommonly beautiful. Mm. If Michigan didn't have harsh winter weather, it would be an insanely crowded, expensive state to live in. Michigan is so beautiful. Wow. So what you would do is you drive about six, seven hours up to the very top of Michigan to a town called Charlevoix. Mm-hmm. And then you board a car ferry. So you can just take your car onto the boat. And then the, and the car ferry is like once or twice a day, you know, comes and goes. Yeah. And it takes you to Beaver Island. And so Beaver Island is this, the island is about 50 square miles. So it's, it's, it's large. It's like the size of San Francisco. But unlike San Francisco, which has a population of 800,000 people, Beaver Island probably has a population of like 800. <laughs> or, 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 may, or, may, or maybe it's like, you sure. know, maybe it's a little higher than that. Maybe it's like 1,500. And, and people who live on Beaver Island My high treat, school was bigger than that. That's wild. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the whole island has only one, they call it, oh shoot, what was the name of it? I think it's called the King Highway. Hmm. So there's like, there's like, what? it's not a highway. It's like one main road. And then there's some like smaller roads. And then the rest of the island is all dirt roads. Hmm. So, so there's only like one or two tiny townships on it. So like one township, like the main township that has like, you know, all the restaurants, meaning like three restaurants. <laughs> and it has like, right. And then it has like some cabins and like, there's like, like one hotel and like a couple bed and breakfast. And then there's a smaller township that has maybe, you know, and there's a gas station on the island and, you know, a few amenities. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but the, the fascinating history of this island, Matt, is that it used to be a Mormon kingdom. What? Yeah, so it was a Mormon kingdom in like the mid 1800s. Okay, and so and they really built the island like that. They're the ones who like paved the main road and like built these townships. <sighs> and then like the the people of Michigan became hostile to this Mormon kingdom. And have you heard of Mackinac Island? No. So Mackinac is super famous if you're from the Midwest. It's famous because there's no roads on it. So the whole island operates on like horse-drawn carriages. And there's like, there's like grand hotels with like giant wraparound porches. And, you know, like, like a cute little downtown where you can yeah, buy like, yeah, you know, yeah. souvenirs and stuff like, like fudge and taffy, all that stuff, right? <laughs> so, the, so people were so incensed by this Mormon kingdom that, and the Mormon kingdom had representation in the, in the Michigan uh, government too, mm. that, they, that they, the people, the residents from Mackinac came to the Mormon kingdom like late in the night with like torches and they shot the Mormon and I, th- I figure what his name was it was it was probably something like Joseph you know yeah. but they but they shot him and then they rounded up all the people put him on a boat and dumped him off in Chicago <gasps> and so it, it was late so so that the next settlers on the island were Irish so uh-huh. today it's called the Emerald Isle Okay, so fast forward real fast, because I know you're probably like, I have a million questions, but, I want, but let, me, let me get through this real fast. So I go there to write a story. So I go there with a friend. We get there. We have this great weekend on the island. We, you know, we go, you know like there's, there's beaches all over, all, all over the island, right? But most of the island's really like, it's like a lot of like wealthy people, like from mm. Chicago or Detroit will have like summer homes there. And yeah. It's, and so a lot of it's hidden. Sort of like a Martha's really, Vineyard feel. Yeah, and the water is like, like Caribbean blue. You Whoa. wouldn't think that because if you're picturing the water in Lake Michigan, like from Chicago or Milwaukee, you're like, mm, that's not really pleasant looking water. Right. But, you, but you get up that far <laughs> north and it's like you can see to the bottom. It's like Tahoe blue. It's beautiful. Wow. 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 Okay. So the last night we're, we're there. 
we're at like one of the three restaurants, right? It's like one of those restaurants where it's like everybody in town goes because it's one of three restaurants and like it closes at like 9 p.m. or whatever. And we're there like the week after Labor Day. So it's just out of season. But our server is wearing a T-shirt that says born to boodle. (laughs) And we were like, we were like, what does that mean? And it's an island practice. It's an island tradition where people on the island or people from the mainland, because you, you can bring your cars over mm-hmm. on the car ferry, what you do is you, you get in your pickup truck, right? You, you pack it, you pack it full of like, you like throw like a fold out table, you throw like coolers full of beer, you throw like picnic baskets, all that stuff on. And then what you do is you and a caravan, well, you can, I guess you can do it on your own, but you can also do it with like a group of other vehicles. And you spend the day going to all the different beaches on the island and just setting up and like drinking and hanging out and chilling. That sounds amazing. And I love that there's a name for it. I do too. That's so <laughs> great. So best beach for boodling is Beaver Island. Do you know why it's called boodling? I do not. I think I asked. I think I know I asked because I was writing a story. And so I, I was like wearing my journalist mm-hmm. cap. And I feel like I feel like she gave me one of those playful answers. Like, you know, like she kind of like, you know, like wiggled her like you know, body was like, you know, it's like boodling, you know, it's just like, it's just like what you got to do. You, you know, I think she kind of played it off. Like she didn't know the answer herself, yeah. but she was just going to have fun with it. She's just like, she was like, you know, darling, just sometimes you got to boodle. Yeah. And you're you like, know? I, I get it. I get it. Y- I yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> my, only, okay. my only question is, is a, yeah. is a Mormon kingdom, like an official municipality, like a city or a town? <gasps> I will tell you. And what I will tell you is I don't know. <laughs> How dare you? I thought I was going to get some good something juicy that's so no funny. i don't i don't know but like, do you just but, get to say that something is a kingdom if you know what i mean <laughs> yeah I, yeah i mean i mean my household is the well i, I was gonna say my my apartment is the kingdom of jason but it's yeah. really not it's, it's the kingdom of hazelwood which is yeah. my cat he kind of runs it's the it, kingdom so. of god or was joseph the assassinated party was he the king of this mormon kingdom oh i, oh, I would ass- i would assume so yeah i mean hence i mean the main highway is called the king highway oh so it's probably named for, i mean i mean i'm pretty sure all the residents served him yeah We'll, um, we'll let somebody tell us what a Mormon kingdom yeah. is. <laughs> All right. What is your next beach? The award for next best beach is the best beach to blend in with the locals. And I picked Sandy Beach, which is on the island of Oahu in Hawaii. It's, okay, good. I'm so glad you brought up a Hawaiian beach. Yeah. It's again, like we almost missed it because you're like, oh, there's a million beaches in Hawaii that oh, it almost happened that one of us didn't pick it. So I'm glad that I did too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's on the Southeast shore of Oahu. It's like 20 minutes from Waikiki, which is the downtown city that most people know. And it's called Sandy beach, but it's really known and famous for having super strong rip currents and shore break. Are you familiar with those terms? Uh, like, like I hear people use them. I hear surfers use them. I hear Southern Californians use them, but I'm, I'm really not familiar. It's yeah. Like, rip rip currents are basically like the, the pressure, the, the pull of the water. If you've ever been in the water and feel like it's pulling you out to sea, that's a rip current where it kind of, okay, of it's, course, it's yeah. pulls in sections and then that creates the waves. And then a shore break is basically just like the waves pounding on the shore. Um, and so this beach is known for having really strong rip currents and shore break it's it's actually super dangerous to be in the water but the unique there's like a big dip in the sand not too far out and what that does is it creates these perfect waves or tubes that you can ride in um but the the difficulty is is that they're really strong waves and they're super close to shore so you have to actually be really uh skilled <laughs> being in the uh, navigating the water to use them so the locals because of that the locals call it broke neck beach Oh, <laughs> which is brutal. But I think it's if you were paying attention, it's a good sign of how you should behave at this beach. Um, and so it's a spot for locals as well as any visitors because it's a legendary spot for body surfing. The way the waves are designed, you wouldn't really go like, you know, board surfing there, but it's a it's an uh-huh. incredible spot for body surfing. And so experienced visitors, locals body surf there. 
Um, and because they, most people who use the water there are really good, they make it look really easy. But I want to say here that these are expert level ways. Like, do not go in, you know, without knowing what you're doing. One time I went, I was, I was probably like 12. We used to go every year as a kid. Um, and oh, wow. yeah. And I, I mean, I was young. I don't remember exactly how, but we as a family went to Sandy beach. We brought, you know, sandwiches and blankets to sit on the sand and watch the body surfers. And at some point I wanted to get in the water. So I walked down to the water's edge and right when I did, some dude got like smashed into the sand from a wave and he literally yeah. like smacked uh, and he literally washed up on the shore and was still for a few seconds before eventually like getting up and walking it off. And I just like straight up thought he was dead for a few seconds. Yeah. So I, I literally just like turned around and walked back to our towel. That is that is so that is so crazy. Now, wait, OK, so I've, again, I have like a, a million questions. So wait, first of all, <laughs> like how close is this beach to Honolulu. Well, Hon Honolulu is the major city. I would say right. it's. God, let me look it up. I would say thirty-minute drive. Uh, okay. East. Okay, so it's like it's like an easy day. Like it's an easy. Like yeah. you could you could wake up in the morning at your hotel, go to Broken Neck Beach or whatever. San it's Sandy Beach or Broken Neck Beach. Yeah. Murder, murder yourself beach. Yeah, and just spend it now. Okay, so here's some well, questions. Well, the, the whole island of Oahu is small. Like you could traverse the whole thing in a day. That's true. Yeah. Right. Okay, so is this like the kind of beach? you would go to just to like lay out and get some sun or not really? I w yeah, you could go out there, lay and get some sun, but there's going to be a lot of activity because there's people and body surfers or whatever. So it's an amazing place to do that, but also to watch people in the water. Okay. And then I, I think we should also mention here that you are Hawaiian. I am. Yeah. So I'm half Hawaiian on my dad's side. Yeah. You're like a real, like you have a Hawaiian middle name. Like you're a real deal Hawaiian. <laughs> That's what makes it official. No, the, the, the thing that I always say, which is like to give myself credit because I'm pasty white that nobody would believe me that I'm Hawaiian. <laughs> My dad went to the Kamehameha schools and you have to be of Hawaiian blood to get into those schools. So yeah. even though it's like in my ancient history, I technically could get in and my kids could get in just because we've got enough Hawaiian blood somewhere in us to yeah. go there. And so okay, that's so, usually but, my claim to like credit for being Hawaiian. Yeah. But so yeah. And, and like to me, you are a Hawaiian because you have like this crazy weird Hawaiian middle name that only, <laughs> only that only has like. Hawaiian letters in it like K and A and P or yeah. whatever H. Okay, my middle name. So, I have to say it now. My middle name is Kainoa. Yeah, one, exactly. one of my middle names is Kainoa. Uh, and I love that middle name. And do you remember when we first met? I would always try to remember your middle name, and I never could. And I would every time I would see you, you would I would just say like Jason, what's my middle name? And you would try to guess. And because the Hawaiian alphabet has I think like seventeen letters yeah, in it, yeah, and yeah. so many of the phonetics sound the same, you would get really close by just like guessing Hawaiian words. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so why why would you your family end up on this beach? Was your dad like a surfer, or was one of your brothers a surfer? Like what took you guys to kill yourself beach, or broken neck, broken, sp damaged spine beach? What yeah. would take you there? It's Brokeback Beach. Um, Brokeback Beach. No, I'm kidding. No, no broke neck beach. Broke neck beach. My, my dad grew up and was a big body surfer, because uh, he, he grew up... Um, most you know he grew up on the island and so he was a big body surfer with friends so that's how i think he told me about it and i was introduced okay. to it but also it's just a it's a locally famous spot to go sit and eat and like watch the you know water athletics etc so it's a it's a well-known spot to to enjoy okay and what was your um what was your category again just for listeners best beach to blend in with the locals Oh, nice. What yeah. a great recommendation. Yeah, right. Yeah, so you're yeah. like, this is like a beach that gets people away from the tourists and away from all the Waikiki people who just like, yeah. that's awesome. I mean, but awesome. there's no shortage of beaches in Hawaii. Like the whole place is a beach. So okay, this is real fast, real fast. You know how one of us just gaffed and said broke back instead of broke neck. Uh -huh. Was that me that did that? No, I did that. 
Okay, you did that right because you remember Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, that was which is a mo- the movie that was like a gay love story. Yeah. Right. So the year that that came out, I was with my family at Christmas dinner. So I was like my parents and then like our like, you know, more conservative like family who like grew up on the farm. Like, so we're down there and that movie came out. My mom said, I really want to see Bareback Mountain. Now, do you, now are you aware what Bareback yeah, means? I'm not going to say the, it on this podcast, yeah, but yes. Yeah. And it's close, so, but the wrong movie. <laughs> so like we're surrounded by conservative relatives and she just says in front of everyone, I can't wait to see Bear, uh, Bareback Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> and you were okay. like, good for you, mom. Yeah, and I was like, broke back. Yeah. Broke back. Uh, All right, shall we move on to the next one? Yeah. Okay, great. So uh, the next beach I have is most architecturally interesting beach where you can also get naked. Ooh. (laughs) Yes. Tell me. And it is here in our our home state of California. Hmm. It's actually in, so it's Black's Beach, and it's in La Jolla. Okay. And, And San Diego area. Yeah, exactly. Right. So La Jolla is kind of funny, right? La Jolla is like really small, really ritzy. It's like super nice. And it's, and people think of it as its own city, but it's actually within San Diego city limits. So if you, when you're Mm. driving into it, like from the five or the 805, no, the five, you'll see the sign that says, welcome to La Jolla, a San Diego community, Mm. or or maybe it says a community of San Diego. So yeah, it's, it's probably, if you're in downtown San Diego, it's probably like a half an hour drive. But again, in Southern California, that's sort of meaningless, right? Like that's, that's nothing. So, and, and you know what, La Jolla itself is this like really great kind of like kooky place. Like there's a lot of like hidden gems La Jolla that people don't know about. Like on the UCSD campus, there's this great uh, architecturally uh, interesting uh, oddity. I think it's called Falling House or maybe it's called Falling Star, hmm. but it's, it's like a house that's teetering on the edge of one of the campus buildings. Like an artist built like a house, like an actual yeah. size house that looks like it's about to fall off. That's wild. And then like in downtown La Jolla, there's a gift shop that you have to enter through a cave. <laughs> so there's like, so there's like all this like cool, weird stuff in La Jolla. But so this beach, Black's Beach is at the base of UCSD, right? So it's actually like, it's on federal land, which is why I think it's allowed to be a clothing optional beach. Mm-hmm. And it's this like really, really, really like super famous nude beach. So now I know it because I lived in San Diego for a couple of years and it's like the gay beach as well. So mm. it's like where all the gays go. Right. So it, you have to like walk down this like we have to make this like really treacherous hike. It's right near the Torrey Pines glider port. So there's always mm-hmm. people like hang gliding. Mm-hmm. And so you like drive to the end of this parking lot. You like nearly kill yourself, like walking down to this beach. And then you get down there and all the like to the right. Like if you walk north, you'll see like all the like all the LGBTQ people. If you start to walk south, you'll see like all the straight folks. And mm-hmm. on like a hot like on hot weekends, hundreds and hundreds of people go. Mm-hmm. But here's the cool thing about Black's Beach that nobody knows about. Because when, when you say like architecturally significant beach, it's like, what does that mean? Beaches yeah, are sand and cool water. sand castle. Like, right, like that's all beaches are. But if you keep, so Black's Beach goes for miles and miles. If you walk like 20, 30 minutes down the beach south mm-hmm. and you come to the end of the beach, you will discover, this is again, this is something other people, our listeners are gonna wanna Google. You'll discover the mushroom house. So like, again, again, hit pause, everyone, Google Mushroom House Black's Beach, Mm -hmm. and you'll see exactly what I mean. So it's this architectural oddity. It's this circular shaped, kind of mushroom shaped home that was built into the cliffs in the 1950s. And it's, it's so, it's very inaccessible. Like there's no like driveway, there's no, so, but to access, to access it, you had, they used to have, they built a funicular, right? Like a a railway, like an incline railway into the, into the, the side of the cliff. So they would take this like funicular to like that, like to their house and back and like transport goods and stuff that way. So you can't walk into the house. I assume it's probably like, like like it's probably been preserved by the city of San Diego. It's probably mm-hmm. it has landmark status. But anybody who goes to Black's Beach or is curious or you know, you should go and check out this 
structure and like photograph. It's like really, it's really cool. Yeah, Did you look I, at it? I just looked it up too. And it also looks like a space station from an alien planet in Star Trek. It totally does, doesn't it? Yeah, like it, this it, is really to- cool. You can totally tell. It's very mid-century looking. You can, to- <laughs> you can totally tell it's like vision of the future circa like 1957. Right, right. Right. Yeah. William Shatner is hiding in there waiting for you. And I should also take a moment to say that like Black's Beach, by the way, is an amazing beach for sunbathing. It's an amazing surfing beach. It's a great beach for like body surfing. Hmm. Like it's just an all around really nice beach. Yeah. So it's, it's good worth, for tans, it's, especially it's worth, if, if clothing is optional. Get yeah, you can write, clothes, no clothes, like whatever you want, you can do at Black's Beach. <laughs> but only if you're on the gay side of the beach, not if you're on the straight side of the beach. No, I'm kidding. No, the straight side of the beach is very much clothing optional <laughs> and, and very much more crowded. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Okay, so do you have another beach? I've got one last award to give out. Okay. And mine is the best beach to make you feel like you're in a nostalgic movie. And I chose, I I chose Cannon Beach, Oregon. Um, you are probably familiar with this organ, this organ, this, this uh, beach or this city in, in one way or another, but it's mm-hmm. like very quintessential Pacific Northwest. So it's in Oregon on the shoreline. Um, like the roads throughout Cannon Beach are lined with these tall trees and you open your window and you get blasted with like this amazing mix of like cedar and spruce, but it's also mixed in with ocean air too. So it's just like the most incredible, uh, the most incredible feeling and, and smell. So the beach itself, um, it's a, it's actually a stretch of beach and it sits right in front of Haystack Rock. Have you ever heard of Haystack Rock before? I have. Yeah. Yeah. So there are, there are a series of of rocks with this shape, but, um, Cannon Beach, Oregon has a famous one that's called Haystack Rock. And there's a two mile stretch of beach that sits right in front of it. Um, the area is like Haystack Rock and the needles, which are the other rocks or spires that stick up from the water. So it's beautiful to look at. Um, but the beach itself is not like a, a layout in suntan beach. Like I think a lot of the ones that we've talked about are, it mm-hmm. feels like plucked straight out of a national geographic episode. There are like tide pools with sea stars and anemone with like more colors than you could ever count. Um, and if you go at the right time of the year, you can see puffin hatching because they puffin like float on the water for eight months a year. And then they, they come back and find, uh, they find haystack rock and, and sit there and, and, you know, raise their young, the beach is dog friendly. It's a great beach for like walking and hiking and running and playing outside. Um, but the reason I, I bring it up to say that it's the best beach to make you feel like you're in a nostalgic movie is because it's most famous for being where the Goonies was filmed or parts of the Goonies. You remember the opening sequence that there's like a, you know, a car and a truck rally that happens along this beautiful beach. Mm-hmm. I do remember that's, that. Yeah. Yeah. That's Cannon Beach, Oregon. I yeah, and then yeah, and ahead. then the movie the movie ends at uh, on the beach as well, right? Like with because the whole adventure in Goonies takes place like in a cave and they're right. underground. There's a party, and when they because and that was like a huge movie when I was a kid. When they come up at the very end, aren't they on Cannon Beach? They are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good yeah. memory. So I've been to that beach as well. I know that beach. And I, first of all, I want to thank you for that description of it. Of all the <laughs> beaches, oh wait, hold on. Of all the beaches we've described, you you painted such a dreamy picture. Hmm. That was truly like spectacular work you just did. Like the puff, the puffins, the like the color of the sand and the water and the shore and walking like you just, just like it was that like you took me away there. I was like, I was not a podcaster for a minute. I was oh, just. Oh, uh, good. Yeah, I was we, we, like, like during that, like one minute you were describing that beach. I was not under quarantine. Hmm. <laughs> it made you escape. So it is most famous for being where the Goonies was filmed. Um, I think like many, many thousands of people a year flock there to go kind of like relive that scene. I think they probably mm-hmm. do some kind of annual event for it, but less known. It was also, there are two other films that were, that were filmed there that you'll probably know, which were point break. Oh, 
I didn't. I had no idea that was filmed in Cannon Beach. Yeah, I don't think the surfing or all the surfing was, but but parts yeah. of the shore scene were filmed in Cannon Beach. Huh. Yeah, and that's that's Keanu Reeves and uh, uh, who's the is other it guy? Patrick Swayze. Is Patrick it, Swayze. It is, it is, yeah, okay. who, who passed away a few years ago? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So very famous surf movie was partly filmed in Cannon Beach, Oregon, and the other one for uh, I'd be curious if actually you've seen this movie, Twilight. Oh. I have not. I thought Twilight was all filmed in Washington. So the the fictional town is called Forks, Washington, and it was yes. the shooting locations happened between Washington and Oregon. And actually, the place that they used for Forks, Washington is was filmed in Oregon. It's like an hour um, east of Cannon Beach, but they mm-hmm. filmed a couple different parts. I think there is like an outdoor surf scene or, an, or a beach scene that happens that was filmed in, in Cannon Beach. Nice. And you know what? The whole I know Cannon Beach because I've road tripped the entire Oregon coast. And of course, Cannon oh, sort of beautiful. Up, it's, it's like it's like up there. I mean, it's northernmost. Like, yeah. Yeah. Very, very much. So it's from yeah. Portland. It's probably what would you say, like an hour and a half or two hours? Yeah. So and I remember driving that whole coast and just the entire coast is so dreamy. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the Pacific. So, I'm yeah. so enchanted by the Pacific Northwest, too. So I'll give one last shout out that there are along that beautiful stretch of beach by Haystack Rock. There are a handful of really amazing hotels. I want to give a shout out to one. Mm. It's called the Hallmark Resort. It's a four star resort that you can sit on your patio and overlook this incredible wide beach in Haystack Rock. So it's it just feels like an upscale beach lodge that's filled with like balconies and patios and good amenities and stuff. So it was a one good shout out there for Hallmark Resort. Nicely done. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. You've got one more recommendation, right? I do. Yeah. And mine's a quick one, too. Um. So my last one is the best beach where you can also lose $10,000. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know if I want to learn more or just, like, stay away. <laughs> no, I wonder if, I wonder if like, in the know listeners know where I'm going with this. But I'm referring to the beach at Mandalay Bay Resort and, and Casino in Las Vegas. So Las Vegas, never, never shy Never shy of uh, try to, trying to recreate the world in the desert, right? Uh-huh. There's like, there's Paris, <laughs> Las Vegas, there's New York, New York, there's the Luxor. So there's like Egypt, yeah. like, like Vegas will bring the world to the, to the strip. Right. And so if you go to Mandalay Bay, which is on the far, far south end of the strip, like it's actually not far from the Welcome to Las Vegas sign. Mm-hmm. So it's like one of like, it's like the first major resort. It's super beautiful. When it, when it opened like 20 years ago, it was like, you know, like it was like the toast of the town. It's like the big, like splashy one. And it's still very, very nice. It's also sadly where the Vegas, uh, uh, massacre happened. That's right. Uh, Yeah. A few years ago. But, but Mm. I, I, I don't want to like say that to like, you know, stop people like Mandalay Bay is really wonderful. And what part of the Mandalay Bay resort is the Delano hotel, which is spectacular. And Mm -hmm. there's great, but I want to bring attention to the pool because they, um, so the beach at Mandalay Bay, it's, you know, like, like any large Vegas resort, there's multiple pools, right? And so it's part of an 11-acre playground, mm. like 11 acres. That's huge. Yeah. It's, so it's an 11-acre aquatic playground, and they brought in 2,700 tons of sand and 1.6 million uh, gallons of, of water. Sand. That was a bad joke. <laughs> 1.6 million <laughs> grains of sand. No, what were you going to say? 1.6 million? 1.6 million gallons of water. Got it. For, for the wave, for the wave pool, right? So, <laughs> so, so it's a wave pool, meaning that like the waves actually come and lap up against the beach. Yeah. And of course, the reason I say it's the one beach where you can lose $10,000 is because, you know, you're, you're only, you're only like 
what, probably like, you know, a two minute walk from the like ling, 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 ling of the casino floor and the slot machines and yeah. the like, you know, the poker rooms. And so it's like, you I know, mean, those be resorts be are so big that that's a 45 minute walk. So <laughs> if you can do it in two, Godspeed to you. But <laughs> and you know what? I know, I know there are some Vegas resorts. I don't think you could do this at Mandalay Bay, especially not in the wave pool. But um, there are some Vegas resorts where you can, you know, you can play poker like in the water, mm. right? Where they have like swim up, you can like swim up and there's dealers right there. And sure. Um, I mean, not now because we're in the middle of a because the <laughs> all the Vegas time you go to vegas when it's safe yeah exactly that's exactly yeah. right yeah thank you and shout out to our best beach awards which are clearly made <laughs> based on the criteria that we made up <laughs> so before we go we've got a few quick honorable mentions which are beaches that we couldn't leave today without talking about i've got one which is the best place to see surfing santa it's my favorite beach in the world my hometown of hermosa beach california um, and it's my favorite because it's the, the biggest, widest, and cleanest beach that I know of. And every year, the city puts on Surfing Santa, which is where somebody wears a red wetsuit and, and dresses like Santa. And it's a rarity to see him. The best place to see Surfing Santa. Okay, that's awesome. I love that. And like, I'm going to wait six months and I'm going to go do that. Right. So like right around the holidays. Okay, I've got a few of my own. So I want to mention, shout out to uh, Best Beach Where There Is No Water. Hmm. And that would be, this is like a total fake. This is not a real beach, but White Sands National Park. Because it's it's this national park that's made of all this like gypsum sand, this rare gypsum sand, and so it it's like this it's almost like snow, but it's powdery white sand. Even though it's not a beach because there's no water, it's super awesome, and I wanted to mention it. And we'll talk more about it when we do a national parks episode. But yeah. like, it's incredible. And then um, I also want to do the best beach that's for the people. And when I say people, I mean skinny hipsters. <laughs> and this is the People's Beach at Jacob Reese Park. So it's in New York City, but it's actually out in like, it's like out near the Rockaways in like Queens. So like an hour and a half, you know, by like public transportation mm. from Manhattan. But it's like super, super duper hipstery, like lots of like skinny, tattooed, pierced, you know, American apparel looking right. folks. And what, and the best feature is there's this beautiful, like you'll know you've got when you've reached it because there's this beautiful like art deco bathhouse that's like mm. right behind it. So I wanted to like shout out to that one. And then uh, last but not least, um, best beach that I'll never go to again because it's ruined by tourists. Oh no. Yeah. And that would be El Matador uh, beach in Malibu. Yeah. Have you, have you been? I have. I know it. Yeah, it's so beautiful because unlike the rest of like LA beaches, it's like super rocky and kind of, you know, like kind of has like cool rock formations like you'd see in like Big Sur. Yeah. But it's just it's just so famous now that everybody goes there. And it's just I, I you know, I don't I don't enjoy going there so much anymore. Yeah, there are a lot of beaches in the world. There's no need. Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations to our honorable mentions. Yes. It is time for what happened here. The segment where we, we look at a fun bit of history or fun story from the destination or theme that we're covering. And so this week I am up and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the history of surfing and about an incredible woman whose name was Rel Sun. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm into it. Like yeah. I'm, bar I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm in the passenger seat. I'm like my seat feet, my seat belt is fastened and I'm ready. <laughs> Are you a surfer? I'm not at all. You know what? I, I really want to surf and I never have. Hmm. And, and every year I'm like, no, I'm probably too old to surf. And that, of course, is not true. And every summer I'm like, I tell myself I'm going to take a surfing lesson. And I live in Los Angeles where I have a million people who are like, I'll, I'll teach you. And I just never get to it. Yeah. Well, this year in quarantine, you might actually have an excuse. But other than that, <laughs> give it a try. <laughs> OK. So I, I asked that because I think that even though you're not a surfer, you're very familiar with surf culture. Like, I think that surf culture is dominant everywhere. When you think of um, surf culture, I think of the clothes people wear, the styles, the, the language of California is often affiliated with it. So it's all, I think it's something that most people know. 
Totally. At yeah. least the language of Southern California. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is synonymous in many ways with surf culture. Yeah. And well, the reason that surf um, culture, I think, is dominant everywhere is because it's been described as like this pure pursuit of pleasure. Like it's often associated with the tropical paradise and is the antithesis of like, you know, modern society. And it's a chance for us to unplug. So I think it, it calls to everybody whether or not you do it. Like that's true mm-hmm. of beach culture and sur- certainly of, of surf culture. And so most people know that um, surfing started in in Polynesia, so like Hawaii, Samoa, the Polynesian islands. But I don't think most people know why that's true. Um, and so like the question is, why did Hawaiians become the early pioneers of surf? And it's because they obviously have ideal conditions, like they had really warm water and constant waves, but mm. also because they were farmers and they had taro fields and fish ponds. Um, and so this not only made Hawaiians like super duper fit and able to navigate the water, which is really hard, but it also meant that they could take like a few months off every year during non-harvest time to have leisure and and go surfing. Um, and so surfing was really integral to Hawaiian culture. Like you probably, I'm, I'm curious, you, you may have heard that surfing is called the sport of kings. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And the reason for that is because exactly as it says, it was the sport of kings. Like they had parts of the ocean that were for royalty to surf at parts of the shore. And then they had another section that was for commoners to surf at. And then another really weird flex, like the boards for commoners could only be 12 feet long, but the chief's board could be like 24 feet long, which if you've ever seen or ridden a surfboard, 24 feet is gigantic. (laughs) Yeah. Because Hawaii before it was, before it became a U.S. state Mm -hmm. was in fact ruled by like, it was like a kingdom, right? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. 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 In fact, in fact, I think I think there's still like a palace that you can go visit on the island of Oahu. Right. Yeah. There were many famous Hawaiian kings and queens. Yeah. 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 Um, and like it was such a it was it was they, those they kept those separate. So like if a commoner accidentally ended up on one of the chief's beaches or like snaked him on a wave, like jumped in front of him on a wave, they would just like straight up kill you. <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> like the just, stakes were high to stay in your lane. Oh, my God. I just gave out like a gay gas. <laughs> It's crazy. So it's it's a huge part of Hawaiian culture, but there was a period where surfing died off. There was this dude named Captain James Cook, who was a, a British explorer. And I have to believe that they named Captain James Hook from Peter Pan. I have to believe that they named it after this guy. Or yeah, I know that, that I know the name James Cook. Oh, he you like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Famous explorer. Yeah, yeah. So I put in big quotes that he discovered Hawaii. Right. Um, but he 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 found Hawaii for the first time of British explorers. And when yeah. he wrote back to England about it, it popularized and a ton of white people came in. They were tradesmen, they were missionaries. Um, and basically after they started to have influence, they didn't allow loincloths or nudity, which was how the Hawaiian people naturally dressed. And they also didn't allow men and women to mix in the same ways. So technically they could surf, but they had to do it fully clothed and separate from one another. And so they basically just like stopped. They lost interest because that sounds like a bad time. So wait, previous to this, Based on your research and knowledge, previous to this, men and women would women would surf and men and women would surf together. I'm talking about in like traditional Hawaiian culture. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It was just the leisure oh. sport of the people. That's amazing. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, yeah. They don't I don't think that they had the same uh social guidelines or biases that, that we have <laughs> as modern Americans. <laughs> yeah. Um so the the sport basically died off because people lost interest. But in the, the early 1900s, it took, unfortunately, it took a few white dudes to help revitalize it. Um, you know who Jack London is? Famous writer? The famous writer, Jack London. Yes. Yeah. He wrote Call of the Wild and Seawolf yeah, and of White course, Fang. Yeah. Yeah. Call of the Wild. Yeah. He, I, I'm realizing that he had a genre and it was like scary dogs was his genre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, didn't, that- didn't he write Cujo? <laughs> Yeah, the reincarnation of Jack London wrote Cujo. Um, 
he so in 1907 he visited Waikiki and was like struck with the um he was struck with the the people and the culture and this idea of surfing and he he met a couple of white dudes who lived in in Hawaii who were renowned surfers and swimmers one of the guys his name was George Freeth um which is okay. noticeably not a Hawaiian name like if you had to make up a word for front teeth you'd call them Freeth that's his <laughs> last name yeah um so he so he befriends them and and when he goes back to England he writes an article that's called a royal sport surfing in Waikiki where he talks about Waikiki and he really romanticizes the idea of surfing and surfers. So for instance, like when he talked about Freeth, he described him like basically like he was the God Mercury. He said his heels are winged and in them is the swiftness of the sea. I saw him standing upright on his board, young, a uh, young God bronzed with sunburn. Like imagine, yeah. imagine living in foggy London town and reading yeah. that description. Yeah. It's very romantic and like, it is it's like but also i would just jump in the water and swim to hawaii <laughs> yeah, right like of course this called to yeah. people of course this called to people so freeth blew up um he was invited to, to california to demonstrate wave riding in redondo beach which is next to my hometown hermosa and he was dubbed the first man to surf in california which is definitely not true uh because there were <laughs> there were records of hawaiian princes like basically tearing up the shoreline in santa cruz and santa barbara all like a hundred years before so he was not the first man to surf in california but white people get the awards um but i will give them credit because they they did help to revitalize the sport at the same time that like hawaiians were forming surf clubs and starting to rebuild the, the sport themselves and this um this gave rise to duke kahanamoku have you ever heard that name before? Yeah. Be- okay. Okay. Here's what I, here's yeah. what I know. Right. Even if, if you've been ever been to Hawaii or if you've ever been to like any sort of like tiki bar or, you know, Polynesian themed, whatever, there's always like Duke something like there's like yeah. a Duke's platter or the, it's named Duke's like that. That name looms large. How come? If you know, I assume you're, you I assume know you're about anything, to tell me. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about him too much, but if you know anything about surfing, you know, the, you know, of Duke okay. and you rightfully call him by his first name because he's that famous, okay. but he's basically like the father of modern surfing. He was a three time world record holder for the hundred meter freestyle, like a, and a, and a gold medal Olympian swimmer. Wow. So he was just like wildly fit and toured the world showing people his skills. So he like spent the earliest 20th century traveling the world um, and helping to expand the sport. And his influence is really massive, like both on surfing and on um, Hawaii because he's, he was dark. He was muscular. I think he's like what a lot of people thought of when they pictured this paradise. And so he was a great figurehead for that. Mm-hmm. But his influence is basically that he helped spur the sport into um, what's now like a $3 billion a year industry. It's massive. Mm-hmm. So if we fast forward to today, like we, we have seen that surfing is everywhere. There's surf shops in probably like every state, even landlocked states. Yeah. And I think it's a mo- an activity that most people are familiar with or have at least for tried sure. themselves. Uh, if we look back at like James Cook's time when he wrote back, there's some historians who said that when Thomas Jefferson was helping write the Declaration of Independence, that he added that line, the inalienable right to pursuit of happiness, that he was talking about serving stories <laughs> from Hawaii. Isn't that wild? Uh, yeah, I love that. But I mean, that's like a tall tale. I don't know. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tell myself it's true and that, uh, yeah, that Thomas like Jefferson that. was down to surf. Yeah, so that's a brief history of surfing, and that's important because I'm going to tell you the, the quick story of a woman whose name was Rel Sun, and just like a highlight of her life, she was a total Hawaiian badass, and um, it's also a story about like prominent women in sports. So I have to say that even though it started to, surfing started to expand in the early 1900s, it was still predominantly like a sport and leisure activity for men because mm-hmm. that was true of like almost everything. Um, and there were some examples of prominent women in, in the sport, but they're like they are rare examples and definitely not the norm of what was happening. The thing that helped change mm-hmm. this was Title IX. Are you familiar with Title IX? 
Yeah, I am actually. Yeah, yeah so, I so am. Title IX, it was passed in the 70s and basically like protects people from discrimination based on sex in education programs or anything that needs um, federal funding assistance. And I feel like tennis player Billie Jean King yeah. had a hand in that. Like she pushed for it or she advocated for it or something like that. Yeah, another prominent badass. So I can totally believe yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but the impact of this is that like when girls are allowed to or encouraged to or sponsored to become athletes, this has got a big ripple effect that we see more women celebrated as athletes, which then inspires future generations. Um, so, there's, so that had a big effect on the sport to bring it to what it is now. Um, and this, that Title IX was happening like right around the time that this woman, Rel Sun, was coming up. So her name is Rel Kapolia Iukai Sun. She sounds like a native Hawaiian. She is a native Hawaiian. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that's fascinating about her is that she's basically real life Moana. Do you know who Moana is before I keep I, going? I do not. Oh, <laughs> the Disney, I don't know, she's technically not a princess, but the Disney movie Moana, it's about the heart of the Polynesian people. Yeah. I'm going to say, I almost would say pause go watch Moana and then come back and finish this episode, but that'll be your homework. Um, so her middle, Done. <laughs> her middle name is Kapolia Iukai, which means the heart of the sea in Hawaiian. And that basically was like a prophetic word for the life that she was going to live. Yeah. That's so beautiful. She grew up in, it's called Makaha beach. It's on like the Western shore of Oahu. And she began surfing, diving and spearfishing, spearfishing at the age of four. So for reference, if you are a parent or know anything about kids, like the developmental milestones for a four-year-old are to count to 10, to name four colors, <laughs> and to like know what breakfast is. And she was a spearfish. She was catching her own fish and diving off of cliffs in Hawaii. That's amazing. <laughs> she said, before I could read words, I could read the ocean. I could read the tides, the wind on the ocean. And I thought I knew everything that I needed to know just from being on the beach. I mean, oh, incredible. is that not like Pocahontas painting with the colors of the wind? Oh, yeah, that's that's amazing. <laughs> I, I have so many questions, but I'm just going to let you talk. Yeah, like, I, I mean, just, feel I free to jump in. I know I'm moving through this story quickly. No, well, I, I just I want to know if she's still alive. Ah, well, then don't jump in yet. So in, <laughs> in the 60s, when Rel was a, a teenager, she attended this. She attended a, a big international surf tournament that happened in her hometown I mean, she remembered seeing these tall athletic men telling stories about like them surfing all across the world. And she basically was like, women can and should have this, these same stories. And I'm going to live that life because when mm -hmm. you're a badass, that's what you do is you just declare. And so shortly after this, she took a trip to California with Duke, who we talked about when she was like only 16 to basically yeah. attend a world championship. Um, and then from there, she jumped off and basically spent her life traveling the world, competing professionally. So she, she spent the time after that surfing and competing, but like we talked about, and like most things in many other sports, there weren't a ton of opportunities in water sports for women. So she basically, because she's a badass again, she was like, well, I'll make opportunities. So at 27, she became Hawaii's first female lifeguard, which in a culture where like proficiency in the water is celebrated, that's a huge and meaningful yeah. accomplishment. So she was 27 when she did that. And then around the same time, she helped to establish not one, but three organizations for surfers the women's international surfing association the women's pro surfing league and then lastly it's called uh, like menehune surfing championships menehune in hawaiian means little people but it's it's for youth okay. the youths okay yeah young people yeah <laughs> yeah you understood um it, which has become the the largest junior surf competition in the world she is she was hawaii's number one female amateur surfer for five years um and at one point was ranked number one in the world on longboard so just like was involved in surfing crushed it as far as a career and just like, you know, surfed waves around people. And she was one of the first five women who was inducted into the surfing walk of fame, which is in Huntington beach, California. 
and like heart melting her granite stone is on the same patch of sidewalks as dukes who was her childhood hero oh yeah yeah so she's a total badass um she was an amazing athlete who, who spent her life basically like judo split kicking the glass ceiling and, and helping lead women serving into closer what to you know what it is that we know now um, but she also was somebody who cared a lot about preserving and building like the surfing community she won uh, it's called the waterman achievement award but it's basically given for like recognition of environmental efforts to preserve the ocean um so she was a she was a really amazing athlete but also just like a wonderful human in general but here's where it gets a little tough Oh, uh-oh. I know. In 1982, during a surfing um, competition, when she was toweling off, she felt a lump in her breast. And she was 32 years old. She was in ridiculous physical shape. And she was, at the time, the number one female longboard surfer in the world. And after mm-hmm. visiting a doctor, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, mm-hmm. For reference, 32 years old is extremely young for a breast cancer diagnosis. Like, the mm-hmm. average age of a diagnosis is between 55 and 64. And she was 32. Mm-hmm. She was half of that. That's crazy. Yeah, it's so tragic. But because Rel had the heart of the sea, she like turned her diagnostic out- diagnosis outwards and you know spread it towards loving people and helping others, which is something that she had always done. And she described her mentality like this, which is that the aloha spirit is real simple. You give and you give and you give and you give from here, the heart, until you have nothing else to give. And as one of her friends said, all that aloha spirit came back to her in the end. After she lost her hair because of um, chemotherapy, she mm-hmm. one day went out surfing and was wearing a swim cap. Um, and when her fellow surfers saw this, they all arrived the next day wearing swim caps in solidarity. Mm. When she became too weak to paddle, they'd take her out and, and push her off so she could help catch a wave. And oh. they had numerous, the local community had numerous benefit concerts um, that were organized by her community, but also like all the lives of the people she'd touched, which they used to help pay her medical bills. When, um, when Sun died on January 2nd, 1998, she was 47 just 47 and thousands of people packed Makaha Beach, which is her hometown. Um, mm-hmm. And a bunch of surfers went out into the water with her family's canoe as they gently released like a glass ball that was holding her ashes. Like, here's my question, Matt. Who is who is doing the biopic on her life? <laughs> no, si- seriously. Yeah. Well, like the, that, that is a, a movie waiting to happen. Yeah. Well, I will say that if you do want to know more, there is a great documentary about her. And it's called, oh. it's called The Heart of the Sea, which is after her middle name. Right, yeah. exactly. I think it's on Vimeo. It's a couple bucks to, to rent it. It's it's really incredible and heart oh, and, and heart touching. Yeah, that is lovely. Yeah, and you sort of touched on this earlier, but this story was like really speaking to me because I'm mm-hmm. half Hawaiian on my dad's side, but also mm-hmm. my mom passed away from breast cancer, um, and she was really young when she passed away. Um, like it's it's I learned afterwards that she was really young for a diagnosis. Like it was unexpected, and so I read this story for the first time, and I was like. Yeah. my people my family yeah 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 i can imagine how that story resonated and of course i have a mother who's twice survived cancer now wow. so you know it's obviously this disease that impacts all of us and to, for someone to be diagnosed at 32 i mean i'm 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 i take joy knowing that she survived it for 15 years mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's like really awesome and that she kept like shining her light and she kept surfing and yeah. she kept you know being this like beacon of hope for you know i assume other young you know female surfers and yeah, surfers everywhere absolutely. like that's really great yeah so that's like such a nice story <laughs> good i have to do a quick aside at the end and like i think we should talk for a second just about women's sports in general because not a hot take, but they deserve equal pay. They deserve equal fan bases. And it makes my blood boil that this doesn't exist yet, especially when there continue to be like 
what feel like really concerted efforts against this happening. So this, I'm not sure if you saw this in the news, but this is on the heels of a recent judge ruling against the U.S. women's national soccer team who have this big bid out basically to get equal pay. And the judge, you know, they're, they're fighting it, but the judge basically said no. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's it's a bunch. Just, it's a uh, bunch of BS. Absurd. It's a it bunch of BS. BS. Yeah. Um, in one piece of good news, though, as it comes back to surfing, that um, I think it was in 2018, the Surf League announced publicly equal pay for male and female competitors for all of their championship league events. That is awesome. Yeah. Shout out to surfing for helping. Yeah, helping just, lead the way. Yeah, another like another impetus to like for me to like take up surfing and like learn the <laughs> sport. Right. Like it just sounds like like I love that. No, I love that. There's like this progressive you know, like the progressive values behind the sport. Yeah. Uh, which is not true of every major league, you know, major sport. Yeah. I think you could argue most sports like here in San, yeah, Francisco, exactly. here in San Francisco, there is no professional women's sports team. Yeah. That's bananas. And this is a crazy sports city. And it's, and it's a crazy liberal, crazy progressive city. Yeah. There used to like, be, I think there used to be a women's soccer team, but it, you know, has since died off. Yeah. That's a bummer. But San Francisco, make it happen. Make it happen. San Francisco. <laughs> We're going to play a new final segment this week, uh, which is called Hear Me Out, where we have a hot take or opinion and we just talk through it. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to keep we're going to keep with the theme of beaches this week. We right? are going to keep with the theme of beaches. And so I'll say my hot opinion quick because I've been talking for a year. Um, but my thing that I hate is not necessarily beaches themselves, but it's something people do at beaches. And so mm-hmm. unless it is a designated dog beach, do not take your dog to the beach. I it it drives me mad for a couple of reasons. One, there's a high risk for dogs. It's hot out there. They can suffer heat stroke or dehydration if they're not like perfectly in the shade. Um, and they can burn their paws if the sand is really hot. But it's also like a huge concern for the environment. Not picking up after your dog is like how beaches get dirty. And even if you're a good dog owner, you're gonna miss a moment. So like just keep that all kaputs. And lastly, not all people like dogs. It's a position I disagree with. But not all people like dogs. And so it is not your choice to bring your dog into an environment, which is where they are, you know, technically illegally or it's illegal to have them there. Okay, Matt, hear me out. Tell me everything. I am in complete agreement with you. <laughs> I knew we were friends. Tell me. I, I am. I mean, first of all, like full disclosure, you love dogs. I love dogs. I should have led with that. I'm a huge yeah, animal you, person. Yeah. You love dogs. Yeah. Uh, you love dogs like you love women's sports. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So true. So true. You love both of those things. Um, but I'm in agreement with you. Now, look, I understand the frustration for dog owners because they probably feel like there's not enough dog beaches for them yeah. and they have to like travel X amount. But I am not a dog owner and I like dogs. I don't love dogs, but I like dogs. Like I see myself having a dog at one point in my life, mm-hmm. but you know, I live alone and I travel a lot, you know, it's too much work and so forth. But I get so annoyed if I'm like on the beach and my face is buried in a book and I've got my headphones on and, you know, maybe I've got like my bottled water next to me. And then suddenly like, but dump ba dump ba dump I'm being trampled on. I'm being licked to death. You know, it's like that, that's just like that's just not the right space. Like, I agree yeah. that like, you know, this and, and especially especially when um, dog owners choose to let their dog roam off leash. Right. Right. Even, uh, I think on, even on a, most right. dog beaches, a lot of dog beaches are ones that were there allowed you're supposed to have your dog on a leash and so many people don't yeah that's right and it's like and there's also that like again no disrespect to dog owners i like dogs myself i have i know i have some good friends some of my best friends are dog owners (laughs) (laughs) right but um but uh you know dog owners sometimes think that like they sometimes forget that like not everyone wants to be around a dog yeah 
Yeah. You know, and like, and they, and then they, they also think it's like no big deal when the dog like invades your space. They're just yeah. like, oh, you know, Rover, get back here, you. Like, they, it's like they're like playful and funny, but like it can be really annoying yeah. to the person. And it's who's, also not safe you know, for dogs. Not every dog is is friendly with other dogs. Um, yeah, and that's a good point too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I am a big dog lover. I think the world would be a better place if dogs were in all the airports and and everywhere. But in beaches where this town has decided that they're not allowed, please keep your dog away. Yeah, so I think our final like hot take from this is more dog beaches, but less dogs on beaches where dogs are not allowed. <laughs> exactly. Well said. Yeah. Right. So let's recap. We covered a lot of ground with beaches. What are some of your top takeaways for listeners to know about beaches? Oh my gosh, there's so many great beaches out there. We hope that as summer, you know, as summer unfolds and we start to get a handle on this pandemic, that people will be allowed to go to the beaches. But of course, if they do, they're going to have to continue to practice social distancing. They're going to have to probably wear masks. They're going to have to, you know, continue to be safe. Um, you know, you and I touched on so many good beaches and there's just so many more hundreds out there that we didn't even, you know, that, that we can wait <laughs> that we, that for our, well, that we'll save for our second annual beach awards. There we go. Yeah. Second, yeah. second ever beach award. No, I guess second, you're right. It would be annual at that point. It would be, it would be annual. Assuming we do it That's once right. a year. <laughs> yeah. uh, My top takeaway is to reiterate something that you said earlier, which is that beaches yeah. are everywhere. If you don't live on a coast, that's okay. There are lake beaches. There are apparently beaches with no water. There are beaches in the middle of Las Vegas. Like find a beach if that's calling to you, if that's your place. Yeah. And some of them are so underrated, right? Yeah. Like, like people, like people would probably never think like, oh, there's not a beach in Nebraska. No, where there's lakes, there's beaches and where there's people and, su- and hot summer temperatures, there's beaches. Yeah. Well said. Well said. And that's it for this week. That is it. So, okay, so we are ready to wind down. Uh, we want people to know we are on iTunes, we are on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, and everywhere else you can find podcasts. So please find us. Uh, please rate us and review us. We'd love it. That's super meaningful to us. Uh, we're also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Our handle is Wish You Would he- uh, Wish You Were Here Podcast, but shortened. So it's WYWH Podcast. And finally, email us at WYWH Podcast at gmail.com uh, and tell us where to go next. Yes. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, everyone. Bye.